Welcome to the Standard of Truth podcast, hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott, where we explore the early days of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and gain rare historical insights into how a young farm boy was able to establish a new church and grow it by way of visions, manifestations, and miracles. Hello, welcome to another episode of Standard of Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Garrett Dirkmott, and I'm here with my friend, Richard LaDuke. Yes, uh, hello, Garrett. So in this particular podcast, we we are going to do what we kind of hoped that the podcast would turn into. Um, we've received several questions. And by the way, if you have questions, please send them to questions at standardoftruthpodcast.com. And we will uh, try to answer those in uh, in future podcasts. Uh, but in this particular podcast, we're going to try to answer uh, a question that Garrett received um, that was kind of unique. Yeah, it's uh, certainly unique. And we, you know, we want you to send questions in. Although we made the email that you send the questions to incredibly long <laughs> and complicated. That. Yeah, uh, when you actually don't want questions, you're like, please send it to forward slash. <laughs> Questions backslash questions forward slash. I mean, and, it, and the questions that we want are really anything, with the exception of things that are hard to answer. So yeah, yeah we want we want easy questions and and lots of them. Now, uh, so this this is a a, a a question that's it's a fairly unique question, but you know it it actually opens up our opportunities to to talk about some of the things we've already chatted about on the podcast before. But you know, I hope you'll find them interesting. Uh, I received an an email uh, from uh, a member of the church, from a woman who um, said that she had someone in her life uh, share with her a uh, a video and an article uh, talking about the the fact that uh, explaining that Joseph Smith had both received his visions and he had translated the Book of Mormon through the use of psychedelic drugs um such as uh you know toads and 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 magical herbs and 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 mushrooms you know so psychedelic mushrooms and uh, this you know th this was something that that troubled uh, her um and and she she wanted to know in fact you know she wrote oh brother Dirkman, i'm trying to keep an open mind um but you know, this is this is probably a little too far. Uh, and and she she just wondered, you know, is there evidence for this? I mean, it's an article; it was published, and so is there anything that's supporting this theory? Well, you know, this is this is one of the great the, the one of the great uh, questions and problems when you're trying to when you're trying to figure out what actually happened in the past. So historians, their job is through using sources, they try to determine what most likely happened in the past. So that's very different than, um, you know, uh, someone who's just telling a good tale about what might have happened in the past or a, a hypothetical of something that might happen. Historians try to say what most likely happened in the past using sources. Of course, there's all kinds of things you can say. You know, you could say, well, isn't it possible that Joseph Smith did X? By the by, the ideas that, 
you know, things are possible? Sure. I mean, there are things that are possible. Are they likely, however? And do you have sources that point to them as being likely, or do they just end up being you know, essentially a, a, a hypothesis, a dream? Well, let me tell you, this is where this, this idea comes from. Interestingly, um, the, the place that this idea comes from is actually from a place that scholars or other interested parties have, have more recently started to, to, to realize that there's a real problem with the simple blanket dismissal of Joseph Smith's truth claims. The problem is that Joseph Smith really seems to believe that he was called by God. Now, how do we know that? Well, I mean, look, we, we've gone through the Joseph Smith papers. We've gone through the 12, 13, 14,000 documents of Joseph Smith, the tens of thousands of pages, the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of words, and in all of them, private letters, private journals, public speeches, minutes of meetings that he's in, there isn't even a hint that Joseph Smith doesn't really believe that he was called by God. So the lazy way out of things is to simply, you know, dismiss Joseph Smith by saying, oh yeah, well, Joseph Smith was a liar and he just lied about having the first vision. And then he like also lied about finding the plates. And then he lied about where the Book of Mormon came from. And then he lied about other visions that he had. And then he lied about receiving revelations. And it's just, and Joseph Smith's just a con artist at that point, right? Well, you know, I realize for an antagonist, someone who, who, who hates the church and, and, and wants to attack it, that sounds like a really great argument. The problem is it doesn't have any historical documents backing it. There's a very, very, very big difference between Joseph Smith thinking that he saw God and earnestly and honestly believing that he saw God and deliberately deceiving other people. Those just aren't the same thing. So, uh, first and foremost, it's important to recognize that there, there are various levels of these arguments. So, Garrett, I've heard you explain before. So, if somebody is antagonistic toward the church, they would say something like you said, well, Joseph Smith's a liar, and he's just lied about everything, and he's a yeah. con artist, and, and whatever. Um, but I've also heard you say that a historian who doesn't even believe that God exists, they wouldn't make a claim like yeah, that. Yeah, most generally. I mean, look, there's there's lots of people who, are, who have PhDs. You might be able to find one somewhere who tries to make that claim. But the, the reality is, is that a common claim? Uh, Daniel Walker Howe, who wrote the Oxford History of the United States for this time period and covers Latter-day Saints, and just so everyone knows, is not a Latter-day Saint, um, he doesn't make that claim. So why doesn't this, you know... Oxford his history, you know, uh, uh, why doesn't it say, Joseph Smith claimed that he saw God, but clearly he didn't see God, because God doesn't exist, and he just made this all up. Why doesn't he say that? Well, first of all, because he doesn't have that good of a radio <laughs> voice. But second of all, because there's no evidence for that. Frankly, historians don't care whether or not God exists. Now, this particular historian cares a great deal that God exists, but, but in the field of history... Our job isn't to prove whether or not someone actually saw God. Because we don't believe, like we talked about in our introductory podcast, we don't believe that's provable. 
You can't prove whether or not someone saw God. All you can prove is whether or not someone said that they did and whether or not they seem to earnestly believe it. Well, in, in Joseph Smith's case, he obviously earnestly believes it. And so even the authors of this particular article, one of the things that they, they state as the purpose of writing their article, let me quote from what, what part of what they wrote. No single explanation has to date successfully accounted for the number and quality of visions in early Mormonism. Nor can these modalities explain the on-demand visions that were neither spontaneous nor the result of prolonged austerities. To date, Joseph Smith's and early Mormon converts' visionary experiences are neither easily defined nor understood. So first of all, I would say I agree with everything they just said. There, there isn't a good explanation, right? Anything that you want to say of, well, you know, Joseph Smith was just super tired and that's why he, you know, when he went out to pray, he fell asleep and he had a dream or he thought he saw Jesus, but of course he didn't see Jesus because no one sees Jesus and, and he was just really tired and that's the reason why he thought he saw him. Okay, well, let me, let me just grant you that. I will grant you that the first vision, Joseph Smith was just asleep. That's where it came from. Now, where do the three appearances from Moroni in one night and then once the next morning and then again when he goes to the place where do the you know the five appearances of moroni in 24 hours come from well he was also obviously really tired um and and then where does when he has the heavens opened up to him and he sees you know doctrine and covenant section 76 sees the vision and he sees jesus and he sees god and he sees the heavens also just he's just super tired and 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 you know then elijah and moses and elias come and again very tired he's a very he's a hard worker He's very Farm tough. work is yeah, just, I mean, it's taxing. He's received a revelation telling him to not drink as much tea and coffee. So, I mean, it, it, frankly, he's going to be more tired. You, you can see the problem with this kind of an argument. I, obviously, I'm being a little bit facetious, a lot of bit facetious. And, 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 but the point is, if you're going to try to claim, ah, here's the reason why he, he honestly thought he was having visions... The problem is Joseph Smith isn't claiming that he had a vision one time. He's claiming he had a vision multiple times. And by the way, there are other people claiming to have those visions with him, right? So yes, Joseph Smith is just incredibly tired when the angel appears to show them the plates for the three witness experience. But then also, apparently David Whitmer and Oliver Cowdery also super tired. And and then later, in a separate event, because he wasn't worthy to be there the first time, <laughs> Martin Harris and Joseph, they're both equally as tired, both equally having this... You can see the problem. Now again, a historian actually doesn't try to work this out. A historian isn't trying to disprove these phenomenological events. If you find someone trying to disprove a phenomenological event, they're not doing history. They're doing all kinds of things. At this point, they might be doing psychedelic mushrooms, but they are not doing history. What they're doing is... Is, 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 is theorizing because they're going beyond what a source can actually prove. No source can prove whether or not an angel appeared to Joseph Smith. Believers can believe that an angel appeared to Joseph Smith, but a historian is simply going to report Joseph Smith consistently claimed that an angel appeared to him and gave him gold plates. Now, if you don't believe that, you don't have to believe it. But there's a very big difference between saying, well, I, I personally find it pretty hard to believe that an angel appeared to him yeah of course it's hard to believe it's called a miracle 
So by definition, it's something that you wouldn't believe otherwise. So the very fact that it's hard to believe is it's actually for a believer. That's why I believe it. So even these authors, what they're stating is the whole reason why they're writing this theory. And by the way, what they call uh, their article is a working hypothesis. Um, whenever you see the term working in the title of any academic work, what it means is we don't have anything. Uh, it, it, it's a way of authors saying, I have some ideas. Wouldn't it be cool if these ideas had some kind of proof for them? That's what a working hypothesis is. Like, what if the real reason why the Twin Towers came down was there was actually... A uh, bomb that was placed inside of it, and that's the reason. We, I mean, well, if that were the case, that would be incredibly important to know. Well, the 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 problem is that if looms incredibly large there, because again, historians try to deal with what most likely happened in the past, or in this case, when we're dealing with phenomenology, phenomenology, um, when you're dealing with miracles. Historians aren't trying to prove whether a miracle happened or didn't happen. They're trying to prove, did this person consistently claim that the miracle happened? So where does the Book of Mormon play into also the the apparent sincere belief of Joseph Smith that all of these things occurred from a historical standpoint? You also have the Book of Mormon. Does that play... Well, Here's into one. this particular article, it also plays in. I mean, the, the person is going to claim, uh, the, the authors here are going to claim. Now, I should state, none of the authors of this article are historians. You know, one's, um, you know, uh, 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 you know uh, an emer a retired emergency department physician. Um, one is an independent researcher. Uh, and, and one... Uh, is someone who has a PhD in, in social sciences, um, and they and they they're a retired professor who focuses on you know people using uh, hallucinogenics in in religious experiences. So all of the people writing this are not actually trained in the in the use of historical sources. They they, they might be trained. They're certainly trained in other things, or, or or maybe not, depending. You know, but. Being a medical doctor doesn't make you a historian. No more than, you know, I always tell my wife that she married, you know, she married a doctor, just the kind of doctor that doesn't make any money and can't help anybody. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're different kinds of specialties, right? I, I don't have the ability to perform open heart surgery. That's not what my training's in. And so, um, you know, it, it's more about specialty rather than intelligence. I mean, it's not about how smart someone is. You can be incredibly smart and you're trained in a certain thing. I'm trained in history. That's what I'm trained in. I'm I'm not trained in, uh, you know, uh, anthropology. I, I understand aspects of anthropology. I've read books on anthropology. I've taken class on anthropology. Am I an expert in that? No, that's not my that's not my discipline. Um, so th this article was published in, in the Journal of Psychedelic Studies, which. First of all, it sounds like one that you want to run out and get a, a subscription to, um, and uh as far as journals go it's it's a very low tier it's a brand new journal at my, you know essentially it's only been around since 2017 and it's an online only journal and it's published 
uh, by a Hungarian conglomerate uh, of of uh, of publishers in in Hungary. So, so it's it's not a it's not a top tier journal. In fact, it's I actually don't even know what the peer review process is. Well, so I was going to say, so this is very important as it relates to the tiering of journals that um, people that uh, have a, more of a social life than perhaps that we might. That what what does that mean in terms of the tiering of journals? So, you know. There are various different types of journals in every discipline, and some are considered higher tier, meaning they're much more difficult to get published in. The uh, the academic backing behind them is higher. They have a higher uh, circulation. Um, uh, for a lot of them, it's based upon how many articles they reject. So if you have a, a really a journal that everyone wants to get published in, well, then you might have, you know, hundreds of people submit submissions to that journal every single year and only 10% actually get published. Well, what does that mean? It means the ones that actually make it through the process because those journals have a much more rigorous process. And a tier two or a three or a four or whatever, a you know, lower level journal doesn't have so many submissions, can't have as rigorous a standards for the publication. And so they might publish something that, you know, wouldn't see the light of day in a higher level journal but for theirs, well, we need to fill some pages. So, so, and this and this matters quite a bit for for tenure. This matters for just. I mean, if you're if you're if you're at a, you know, a relatively prominent university, you're required to publish in these top tier journals, and even maybe lower tier publications don't even count toward. Depending on on the on the depending on the university and depending on the discipline you're in, every discipline has its own. Uh, its own publication requirements and every university does for tenure. But yeah. So if, if you are in a, a high level university, they, they would either not count or give very, very little weight to a publication in a lowest tier journal. They would say, well, this must not be that good because if it was good, you'd publish it somewhere else. So could you give a couple of examples of what like a standard between a top tier journal and just even maybe one or two below in terms of what a, what a standard would be from a history perspective in terms of Oh, publishing? I mean, there's, you know, like the, you know, the Journal of American History, you know, is going to be top, like tier. A top tier. Yeah. I mean, um, and what could you, what could you not get away with with them that you could? Well, probably this article. I mean, that's probably the reason why it's being published in an online-only journal that's... Run know, by Hungarians. Well, I mean, I, look, I mean, the authors are, you know, they're stating that it's just a working hypothesis. And and so what what are some things that we would examine? Well, why wouldn't this get published in a history journal? Well, because there are no documents supporting it. Essentially, the authors... Look, again, I have sympathy with the authors. What they're saying is... There's no real explanation for why so many people claim that they had visions of heavenly beings. Clearly, no one actually has visions of heavenly beings. So what's one way we could describe this? I know they're all using hallucinogenics. They're using psychedelic mushrooms. They're using, you know, toad venom. They're, they're, they're using something to make them think that they've had this vision. And that's why they very earnestly believe that they've seen it. But of course they haven't because it's just, it's hallucinogenic induced. Um, and, you know, to give you an idea of some of the sources in this uh, journal, um, uh, when the, uh, uh, when they're talking about um, 
Joseph Smith's, you know, use of hallucinogenics. Here's some of the evidences they use, right? That uh, an alleged tutor of Joseph Smith named Lumen Walters, who who is who lives in Palmyra, who's affiliated with Joseph in some of the money digging, but I mean, how close their affiliation is, that's all hearsay after the fact by Lumen Walters. I mean, Joseph's never like, let me tell you about Lumen Walters and what a great friend he was of mine. Um, that he apparently possessed a stuffed toad that that he used as part of some magic and some mysticism. Um, and Willard Chase, who's, uh, he's a neighbor of the Smiths. He actually is also employed with Joseph on some of the money digging and very antagonistic towards Joseph because he feels like Joseph kind of should have split the money with him on the gold plates. Um, uh, he claims uh, that Joseph Smith encountered a spirit that was something like a toad prior to receiving the plates from Hill Camorra. So because Lumen Walters owned a stuffed toad and because Willard Chase, years after the fact, uh, denigrating Joseph Smith's claim to spiritual accounts in an anti-Mormon book. He's doing this uh, in, in a de deliberate attempt to uh, denigrate Joseph. Uh, claims that Joseph saw something like a toad. The authors of this article then say, well, see, that shows that Joseph was obviously using a toad. And, you know, he was, he was licking the toad or whatever, and that's the reason why he thought he had a vision. Um this it, this article it's filled with things throughout right saying things like well there's evidence that this type of fungus grew in the upstate new york era area so therefore he probably used that and when he moved to nauvoo he probably had a bunch of those you know northeastern located uh hallucinogenics shipped out to nauvoo so that he could have a ready supply of them to continue to still have his visions and his so the problem with all of this, there aren't any sources. I mean, the best sources for this are what I just read, right? That an antagonist of Joseph Smith, in recounting Joseph Smith's experience getting the plates, said that he saw something like a toad. So even the person who's antagonistic towards Joseph Smith isn't saying, well, he was just looking at toads. And he's, he's just looking frogs everywhere. That's the reason why he's having these visions. Um... So, so you have to look at this pretty, pretty, you know, pretty deeply to say, even the people that are trying to denigrate Joseph Smith's religious experience, the ones on the ground, supposedly his neighbors, they're not claiming that Joseph Smith is using hallucinogens. Now, you do actually have some of the people that are attacking Joseph Smith. I mean, his name is going to be had for good and evil among all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people, right? You do have some of the people in anti-Mormon uh, publications early on claiming that Joseph Smith was drunk when he was translating the Book of Mormon, right? As a way of, ah, his poor character and, you know. But I've read Joseph Smith's writings when he's sober um, and... I'll tell you what, I mean, if Joseph Smith wrote the Book of Mormon because he was drunk, he would send me a case of that. I mean, the, the reality is he, the, the, the writing in the Book of Mormon is so far beyond Joseph Smith's actual writing capabilities that we see that it, 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 it's part of the problem. So, so what you have here is it's what I like to call... Um, you know, unisom anti-Mormonism. I'm not claiming that these people are being anti-Mormon. I, I don't really know what their intent is. Maybe they're just simply trying to provide 
you know, but it's certainly antagonistic to well, what believers. And, have and so you you've uh, told me before about a, a professor, I believe, out of uh, one of the universities in California. She's trying to explain these things, and and what what, what yeah, was well, it? so she's trying to explain. Uh, her name's Ann Taves, and and she's trying to take seriously because she's a trained professor, right? So she's not just you know someone on on an anti-mormon subreddit i mean she she actually has a real job and real publications and and she um is is trying to provide an alternative explanation for where joseph smith's translation of the book of mormon came from and so as a scholar she has to have an argument that's better than just you know i'm sure he just wrote it all himself because that it doesn't jive with his his other writings right um and so you know it, it's not simply her but but there are other scholars too that have tried to do the same thing you know what do we do about the plates well there's some have even theorized well maybe he really did find something i mean people did see something he showed it to a bunch of people he seems to have something and plus he really seems to believe that he's called by god so maybe he actually did find some native american artifact of course, it wasn't gold plates, and of course, it wasn't about an ancient civilization. Of course, he didn't really translate it. But all of that is really stemming from this problem. Joseph Smith presents a unique problem uh, to, to religious historians because gold plates exist and the Book of Mormon exists. If you are simply going off of, uh, you know, Joseph's claim that he, he had a spiritual manifestation, well, then it's pretty easy to... To, to dismiss you simply say well i'm sure he thought he saw god i mean a lot of people think they see they see god when i was on my mission in wisconsin i met someone who thought they were god i mean so the, the reality is you know there are people who are earnestly mistaken about the divine all the time so joseph smith must have just been mistaken well however mistaken you might be about whether or not you saw an angel and by the way multiple times and on multiple occasions it's pretty hard to be mistaken whether or not you're hauling 60 or 70 pounds of gold through the forest okay you have something now you either manufactured that something which is what some antagonists will say some antagonists will say well sure what he did is he probably stole a whole bunch of tin and figured out how you know created a bellows and and figured out how to work the tin and, and through metallurgy was able to create a bunch of tin plates then he was able to etch those plates and then he was able to tarnish those plates to make them look like gold and then he showed them to other people and even though those people knew much more about metal than he did and would have held those plates and would have known that this is not really gold they all thought that it was gold because he confused them so well or he'd already brought them into his treachery but all those same people actually left the church so you'd think they would at that point say actually joseph smith just made this all up uh, because that'd be the easiest way to get back i mean you, you can see the problem that the plates present joseph apparently has something even his enemies are saying oh yeah i lifted the box you know the plates were and i felt the weight so he has something so joseph either has something that he manufactured or something that he found well, you know, which is it? And so these attempts to explain this are ways to try to explain things using a more academic model in the sense of how do I, how do I explain that Joseph Smith really seems to believe 
that he was called by God, and at the same time explain these writings that appear to be completely outside of his abilities. Well, what if, and, and that's what these authors here have done, what if he was taking psychedelic mushrooms and that's the reason why he thought Jesus appeared to him and he could honestly believe it? That just wouldn't really work for the production of uh, for the production of the Book of Mormon. In that case, someone might say uh, something to the effect of, well, um, you know, as, as this scholar has claimed, well, maybe Joseph Smith was an auto writer. Maybe he fell into trances, as some auto writers do, and he wrote things that are far beyond his abilities, as some auto writers do. Again, that is a theory that 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 allows people to have an alternative explanation for how Joseph Smith created something in his subconscious that he clearly wasn't capable of doing in his conscious mind. The problem is we have dozens of accounts of witnesses who are part of the translation of the Book of Mormon, the scribes who are there, and none of them describe the translation of the Book of Mormon that way. And they, they not only don't describe the translation of the Book of Mormon that way, they are giving independent accounts of the translation over the course of 60 plus years. And some of them are in private, unpublished accounts. Some of them are published in newspapers. Some of them are simply spoken and recorded in other people's journals and yet still are all remarkably consistent. So in a future podcast, we're going to cover the witnesses of the translation of the Book of Mormon and discuss how that happened and, and go over those various sources. But for our, our purposes here, the fact that someone is claiming, well, wouldn't it make sense that Joseph was able to have these visions or translate the Book of Mormon because he was under a hallucinogenic drug. Look, if you're looking for a reason to explain away Joseph Smith's visions, and that's the one that you think works, you know, obviously you're welcome to believe whatever you want to believe. But in doing so, you need to know that there are no evidences of that. Even the people who hate Joseph are not claiming that he's eating hallucinogenic, hallucinogenic mushrooms before he receives a revelation. And given the number of revelations that Joseph Smith has, that he's with someone else, collective shared revelations uh, and revelatory visionary experiences, we're now not just talking about Joseph having to be a part of that hallucinogenic uh, imbibing. We're talking about lots of people having to be involved in it. So, um, yeah, this is something that is printed somewhere. Um, but I think one of the ways that you can determine whether or not something is terribly credible is, are other historians using that as the baseline of, of their arguments? Are they saying, oh, it's, you know, it's been, you know, well established that Joseph Smith was, you know, uh, using psychedelic mushrooms when he, well, it's not well established at all. And that's the reason why the authors call it a working hypothesis. Because what they're saying is, what if, Joseph Smith used hallucinogenics. What if? I mean, what if an angel came down and gave him gold plates? I mean, yet you 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 can you can ask the what if questions, but saying what if and hypothesizing is not the same thing as having sources. Sources are what historians go off of. And among all of our sources, among all of Joseph Smith's associates, including people 
who would later apostatize and attack him as viciously as they possibly can, none of them claim that Joseph Smith was simply under the influence of magic mushrooms when he received his revelations or when he translated the Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon itself stands as this great testament of Joseph Smith. The words in it are clearly beyond Joseph Smith's abilities. And if you don't believe me, go read something that Joseph Smith wrote. Go read his 1832 history. You can go to josephsmithpapers.org and read the 1832 history of Joseph Smith. Think about that. He wrote the 1832 history three and a half years after he wrote the entirety of the Book of Mormon. So, and this is all during this time, he's trying to improve his education, he's trying to become more educated. Three and a half years after the whole Book of Mormon is written, he wrote the 1832 history. And frankly, in a lot of ways, it's a dumpster fire. I mean, he's, he's trying to sound good, he's trying to make it sound educated, but he starts thoughts and doesn't finish them. He spells things when, that he's writing incredibly wrong. I mean, he, he misspells the word keys, which you'd think since your religion is focusing on the fact that keys have been restored, if there was a word that you would spell correctly, it would be keys, but he spells keys the way you spell bees. Um, the, the reality is, while Joseph's going to make all kinds of efforts to better educate himself, the Book of Mormon is beyond his, his 18, 29, and 28 capabilities. So, I think this is one of those, like I said, uh, sometimes I call it unisom anti-Mormonism. It's, it's what allows people to sleep better at night. How do I explain the fact that it seems like Joseph Smith really did have plates? Well, be because he went and, and he, he, he stole a bunch of tin and created his own plates. Okay, well, I mean, is that possible? It's certainly possible. Is there any evidence at all that he did that? No. So, yeah, yeah, it's possible. Is it possible that, you know, that Joseph Smith was taking drugs and that's the reason why he had visions? Is it possible? Sure, it's possible for anyone to take drugs. Is there any evidence, aside from it would help you sleep better at night, that he was? No, there's not. I mean, I guess you do have his one antagonistic associate who said that he saw a toad, which apparently is the same thing as grabbing it and licking it. I mean, you can, you can see why it's it's only a working hypothesis, and, and really it's more like a working daydream, and that's probably where it ended up, why it ended up where it did. Uh, I understand, like I said, I sympathize with the authors in saying, you know, we, we don't really have a good explanation for why so many people claim to have had visions. Well, we do have one, and it's their explanation, and that is that God really was appearing to them, and that angels really were appearing to them. And yeah, I understand that that makes some people feel uncomfortable, and so they prefer an alternative one. Um, but just because you prefer an alternative explanation doesn't mean that that explanation is somehow backed up by, by history. Well, thank you for joining us on this edition of the Standard of Truth podcast. We look forward to answering more questions, so please send those in, and uh, we'll try to answer some in future podcasts. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Standard of Truth podcast, hosted by historian Dr. Garrett Dirkmott. 
If you know anybody that could benefit from the material in this episode, please share it with them. And for more resources, visit standardoftruth.com. Until next time.